Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Melchizedek did not hesitate to encourage, pray for, and refresh Abraham after his battle with the five kings. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org and on iTunes. Now, the Friendship with God radio program is a listener-supported radio program. This Bible teaching program needs your support to continue on the air on this radio station in this city. So to encourage you to support this radio program, we also are having a great offer this month. Three of Tom Cantor's books, Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People, Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, and How a Jew Came to Know and Put His Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, Tom Cantor's Testimony. All three of those books put into one as one resource for a donation of $30 or more. We will also match that with an Israel Restoration Ministries matching donation. So this is a great offer, three books into one from Tom Cantor. You can call us right now or at the end of the program to obtain this offer, a donation of $30 or more. You get all three books that are in one book, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or again, 1-800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching program. Okay, Genesis 14, verse 18, I'll start here. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should stay, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Now, going on to verse 1 of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Okay, so you remember how in our last study that we saw the entrance of this person, Melchizedek. Very, very interesting. He comes, he breaks the pattern, as we saw of everyone else that we've seen in the book of Genesis. We have known the genealogy of everybody else. We know who their father was. He was the son of so-and-so, and we know the generations, and so-and-so, but not Melchizedek. He just shows up on the scene And in verse 18, it's like an abrupt, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth. And that's it. Just so simple. It's Melchizedek, and immediately we're brought to what he did. And it's as if the word of God here, the way this is portrayed to us here, it's as if the Bible is saying here, his genealogy doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter who his father was. And it doesn't matter who his sons were. Because for Melchizedek, Those things are just not important. So if those things are really not important, then what does the Word of God focus on about what's important about Melchizedek? And and it it, it focuses on what he did. That was what was important. It reminds me of my friend, I think I told you this before, Tameskin in Ethiopia. He was 12 years old when he learned that he had osteosarcoma in, in his right leg, cancer of the bone. And so they amputated at the hip, his leg, 
And all his family was, they were crying, his mother and his sister, and, and they were crying and crying over his cancer. But he didn't, and they told me that. They told me, it said he wasn't really that upset about it. He just had a perfect peace. Why? Because three years before that, when he was nine years old, back in his village, which is not very far from the Scanabody's compound there in, in Ethiopia, but his village was is not like ours, Muslim. His village is animist, is animist. But anyway, in his village, he met the Savior. And even though his uncle was the witch doctor for this for the village and had beat him and his mother and his sister so that they couldn't go to church, he stood with the big stick in front of the hut and he beat him back. But they got up in the middle of the night and they went to church anyway. And But now he was at this Mother Teresa Hospital, and the full name of the hospital is Mother Teresa Hospital for the Destitute. That gives you a clue about what it was there. And he had taken his place, and this is about maybe 2,500 patients in this place, and they had one room where they had about 30 children with terminal cancer. You know, triple bunks, you know, I've been there and spoken to those kids, and all very good spirit, but they all have terminal cancer. And their doctor is my friend, Dr. Rick Hodes. He's an Orthodox Jew. And one day, after Temeskin's amputation, Rick was examining Temeskin, and he realized, he discovered that Temeskin's cancer wasn't gone, that it wasn't all in his leg when they amputated his leg, and that, in fact, it had spread into his lungs and other parts of his body. So it looked very bad. So Rick sat down with Temeskin to tell Temeskin that he's, no, he's 12 years old at this point, that his cancer has spread and that he's not going to survive. And so there the two look at each other. I mean, it was just, a, if you can imagine this kind of a meeting. I mean, here's Temeskin, a black man, Rick, a white man. There's Temeskin. It was the meeting of, of a Gentile Temeskin and, and Rick the Jew. And it was a, a meeting between Temeskin in his sickness with terminal cancer, and Rick in the prime of his health. And it was a meeting between Temeskin, who was so poor, and and, and he is so poor, he was wearing his whole wardrobe. He didn't have any other clothes except what he was wearing, which is very typical, in front of him. And and Rick, by comparison, and just an, an enormously wealthy man. It was a meeting between Temeskin, a saved man, and Rick, a lost soul. And, and both Temeskin and Rick, they individually, separately, they told me about that meeting. And because what happened at that meeting was so profound. And I asked both of them the same question. And I, I asked them, I said, who do you think was richer at that meeting, Temeskin or Rick? And, and so here's what happened. So Rick tells Temeskin that the amputation didn't clear the from his body, the cancer, they tells him his cancer is terminal, and, you know, he wasn't sure that this impact, that, that, that he had really communicated what he was trying to say to Temeskin, that he wasn't going to survive, and so then Rick tells, tells Temeskin, and, he, and then he asks him a question, he says, Temeskin, are you afraid to die? <laughs> Can you imagine? It was a 12-year-old boy. Temeskin, are you afraid to die? And what Temeskin did and what he said so moved Rick that, that Rick tells everybody about what he responded. Temeskin looks back at Rick 
And with all the earnestness and sincerity of a 12-year-old, he, he says to him, no, he says, I'm not afraid to die because everyone's going to die sometime. And it doesn't matter when you die. It matters what you do before you die. Isn't that remarkable? He said that. Now, that was Temeskin. That's just the way he was. We have a monument to Temeskin on our compound in Ethiopia. It's a tree that was cut down and grew back again. And so we put a little bench around there and an invitation for people to sit there and think about Temeskin. Because when Temeskin was, was 15, cancer did win that battle. Cancer did kill his body, but it didn't kill his soul. You know, cancer, cancer separated him from his life on earth, but cancer did not separate him from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So throughout all of his sufferings, Temeskin, he always lived up to the meaning of his name. His mean, in Amharic, in Ethiopian language, Temeskin means thank God. And Temeskin was always doing that. He was thanking God. He was a grateful kid. But at that meeting between Temeskin and Rick, it was a meeting of a 12-year-old boy with terminal cancer having received the gift of eternal life and heaven as his home because he received the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is telling an Orthodox Jewish man in his 40s who is desperately trying to earn eternal life in heaven by caring for the poor kids with cancer and yet rejecting the Jewish Messiah it was something. And the only thing that mattered was what he did before he died. And the 12-year-old boy had done the most important thing before he died. He had received the Jewish Messiah. And poor Rick, he, he had rejected the Jewish Messiah, and he was trying to do everything he could to earn what was really a free gift. Now, so in other words, after you do the most important thing in life, which is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, then it does matter what you do in your life. And that's the point that Melchizedek, about Melchizedek, that's being made in the Word of God. It's showing us in verse 18 that the only thing that matters is what you do before you die. And that's what verse 18 is all about, because along, verse 18 is like this, and along came Melchizedek. And that's the way it comes here. We don't know anything about him, but along came Melchizedek. So there was Abraham, pictured for us in verse 18 with the words, return from the slaughter of Kedoloermer and of the kings that were with him. And now here comes Melchizedek and he sees Abraham. And the point here is that there's no delay on Melchizedek's part. There's no hesitation at all. And he says to himself in verse 18, Melchizedek says to himself in verse 18, you know what? There's a man of God who needs refreshment. And I'll bring him bread and wine. And that's what he does. And Melchizedek saw Abraham, and without any delay or any hesitation, he says to himself, there's a man of God who needs encouragement. And I'll tell him that he's been blessed by the Most High God, and I'll tell him that God is the possessor of heaven and earth. And Melchizedek saw this, and without any hesitation, without any delay, he just jumps in. He says to himself, there's a man who needs to who needs prayer and i'm a priest of the most high god and i will pray to god for him and i'll praise god for how abraham has delivered uh, how god has delivered all of abraham's enemies into his hand and so melchizedek does this in verses 18 and 19 and 20 without any delay 
without any hesitation, he recognizes the opportunity and he jumps on it. He jumps on it. Now, it's just the same as what we've been studying in the past with, with Mordecai and Esther. Because when Mordecai says to Esther, he, he, t- he says, your opportunity is here, Esther, it's now. So don't delay and don't hesitate. That's the whole background of Esther 4.14 when he said, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall arise, then there shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come unto the kingdom for such a time as this? It was if Melchizedek could hear the challenge to his own heart from God saying, Melchizedek, if you don't move now to bring refreshment, to bring prayer, to bring encouragement to my man Abraham, then I'll take care of Abraham from another place. Oh, don't you worry about that. I will, but you will miss out, Melchizedek. You will miss out because this is your opportunity. This is your chance. The spotlight's on you right now. Melchizedek, who knoweth whether thou art coming to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so what Melchizedek did in response is a great challenge for us because we need to be like he was, Melchizedek was. Wow, how? Looking for opportunities to refresh, to encourage, to pray for others like Melchizedek did. And when we see those opportunities to refresh and encourage and pray for others is the reason that we are in this place at this time, whatever it might be, and say, for such a time as this. That's an attitude. For such a time as this is to walk through life and to say, I've come to that for such a time as this. That was Melchizedek. Not delaying, not hesitating as he didn't. Now, from verse 18, then, and from the absence of the genealogy, and just the word and, just the word and, the way it starts off there, with nothing coming before it, we've come to understand the importance of what we do in life and how we cannot rest on our background. That's just like the Lord Jesus Christ indicated. There's that time. He's teaching many people. They're receiving it. They're not just listening and they're hearing and they're understanding, but they're absorbing it so that they can do it. And what happens? Something occurs, which is recorded for us. And thank God it is recorded for us. It teaches us a lot in Luke 8, 20 and 21. It reads like this. And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother... And my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. So here it is. The prospect now is before him at this time. He says, look, your mother and your brothers are here. So drop everything. Stop everything. Because your family is here. Forget about all those people who are listening to you and wanting to do what you said. Your flesh and blood has arrived. And he says, when it comes to the matter of that, he says, Flesh and blood are the ones that hear the word of God and do it. So that's a good example. So now we're making good progress. We've just covered one word, (laughs) the word and, (laughs) in verse 18. We're ready to move on to the next word. See, we move quickly. All right. Verse 18. The next words of verse 18 are very important. Melchizedek, king of Salem. Just think about how the word of God has described this man to us here. Melchizedek, king of Salem. I think we should turn to Hebrews 7.2. We have a verse that is a commentary on these four words. Melchizedek, king of Salem. That's what it is from verse 18 of Genesis 
14.18, we have four words, Melchizedek, king of Salem. And the word of God is very instructive to us because in Hebrews 17, it's a whole verse that's commenting on four words. So, what does it say in Hebrews 7.2? To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, which, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So this verse is really telling us, don't gloss over those words, Melchizedek, king of Salem, in verse 18. Because it's saying to us, stop and unpack the meaning of those four words, Melchizedek, king of Salem. So first of all, Hebrews 17 is telling us to unpack the meaning. And it tells us to carefully look at the titles and the meanings of his names. Now what that's so important to us is that it shows us how we should approach the Word of God, how we should study the Word of God. It's directing us, stop, unpack. Okay, Melchizedek. He says, first being by interpretation, king of righteousness. So this verse in Hebrews is is directing us to look at the meaning. Melchizedek. So Melchiz from Melech for king, and Zedek from Zadik for righteousness. So Melchizedek is by interpretation king of righteousness. And then Hebrews 17 tells us, see carefully the second title, which it says, and after that, you know, it's like, don't go away. After that, also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So the Hebrew word Salem is the word um, Shalem, which comes from the word Shalom, and peace. Tom, you mentioned today as we were studying about Melchizedek that the Bible has a lot to say about the link between righteousness and peace. But what does a believer do when they don't really find the Bible interesting? You know, that's a very good question. It does say clearly that the description of a believer in Psalm 1-2 is that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. As we saw, it says in Isaiah 26, 8, that yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of thy soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. And as we saw in Psalm 84.10, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the house of wickedness. But that's a very good question that you raise. Because to be honest, we have to say, what happens, and sometimes it does happen, that the Bible is just not interesting to us. And it is like a mound of sawdust, so to speak. It seems dry. It's not doing anything for us. What do you do when you read about the description of a believer? It says his delight is in the law of the Lord. And you say, but i got to be honest with you, my delight is not in the law of the Lord. What do you do? You know, the Bible says there, in the second part of that verse in Psalm 1-2, it says, where his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he says, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. See, there's a relationship there. It be, by meditating in the Bible day and night, his delight became to be in the law of the Lord. In other words, what do you do when the Bible's like a mound of sawdust and it's really not delightful? You read it anyways. You study it anyways. You meditate it in it anyways. Why? Because it says that in Hebrews 5, 13 through 14, it says, everyone that useth milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. That word in the Greek, unskillful, means inexperienced. In other words, they don't know the Bible. They don't read the Bible. They don't understand the Bible. But then it says in verse 14, a very interesting part in Hebrews 5, 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even by those who by reason of use have their senses exercised.
exercise to discern both good and evil. That word in the Greek, use, means by reason of habit, by reason of practice, have their senses exercised. In other words, when the Bible becomes something that's part of our lives, in other words, it's a habit. What do we do every morning when we wake up? Bible before breakfast. That's what we do. That's our habit. That's our practice. We we read the Bible. We think about the Bible. We write down what the Bible, what we learn from the Bible, how God speaks to us. And as we do that, then the delight comes to be. You know, when I went to school in Switzerland, because I was such a terrible kid, my, my parents sent me there when I was a, a teenager for high school. And in the boarding school that I was in, that every Friday night, this is back in the 60s, every Friday night, without fail, they would serve for, for us students there horse meat. And when I first got there, I said, horse meat? You've got to be out of your mind. I've never eaten horse meat in my life. But that was what it was. Every Friday night at the Lycee in uh, Lausanne, Switzerland, they served horse meat. And at the first, you know, you put a lot of mustard on it, and you can kind of get through it. But every Friday night, they served horse meat. And so at the first, it was like, oh, no, I can't stand it. But you know what? I got to like horse meat. I mean, I know that sounds very strange. I understand that. I haven't eaten horse, horse meat since I left Switzerland in the 1960s. But nevertheless, I got to like it. Why? Because by reason of use, in other words, from eating it every Friday night, I got to kind of look forward to it. It was different. And don't ask me what it tastes like. But anyway, it, be, it was by habit, it was by practice, it was by experience. That's the way the Word of God is. I'm not saying the Word of God is like horse meat, but I'm just saying that as we use it, as we read it, as we as it becomes part of our habitual practice, then we find that our delight is in the law of the Lord. A change occurs. That's the wonder of the Bible. The Bible is not passive. As we read it, it works in us. As we read it, as we study it, as we meditate in it, as we make it our focus, because that's where it says, in his law doth he meditate day and night. Maybe he didn't want to meditate day and night when he first started off to, but after a while, the Bible begins to work back on us. We study the Bible, the Bible works in us. The Bible creates within us desires, interests, delights that we never had before. And be, and all of a sudden, we get to the point where we say, I want the Bible. I need the Bible. I must have the Bible. I must read it because I'm learning about God. And as I'm learning about God, I'm loving God. And as I'm loving God, I'm delighting myself in God. And as I'm delighting myself in God, I'm talking to God more in prayer. He's talking to me more in the Bible as I'm in this word. This word is a powerful word. This word is very, very active in us. We were born again, as Peter says, by the word of God. And that's how we started, born again by the word of God. Then Peter says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that she may grow thereby. And again, how do you desire it? By by feeding on it slowly and then more and extracting more and wondering what does that mean? And I think I'll look up that word and I'll think I'll think about that phrase and I think I'll get a concordance and kind of see if there's other places where that same thought, that same word is used. And I'll write them down and I'll begin to think of meditate and that's the beginning of meditation. And then as meditation starts within us, then God helps us and God begins to make us what he 
said in Deuteronomy, he's, he begins to make us those kind of people that do not live by bread alone. But we now see the Bible as preceding every word, proceeding from the mouth of God. So we see the personalness of the Bible to God. We see that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And when God speaks, the Bible speaks. And we begin to understand that. How? When the Bible becomes part of our use, part of our habit, part of our practice, part of our daily lives, part of the, get to a point where you say, I cannot imagine my life without the Bible as an integral part of it. I cannot imagine my morning and starting off my morning without the Bible. I must hear from God, and I hear from God in the Bible, and I will then begin to use what I've heard, the principles, the words, to be able to, they will be for me my counselors. It says in Psalm 119, verse 24, thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. So when we have a problem, we'll say, what does the Bible say? And we'll go search. And that's how the Bible becomes for us a delight and the great interest in our lives. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, we've got an amazing offer as we start out the new year. Tom Cantor's got three books that have been put into one. The Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People book, The Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ book, and How a Jew Came to Know and Put His Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah. So we have three books put together into one dynamic book offer for January only. We've got a limited supply of these. Call us today at one 800 247 3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. You can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and connect with our online bookstore. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or again, you can call us at 1-800-247-3051. Get the prophecy and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, frequently asked questions by Jewish people, and Tom Cantor's testimony and how he came to know the Jewish Messiah. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow.